0: Well, hey there. This is Kim Constable. Welcome to the Strong and Sculpted Podcast, the podcast by me, Kim Constable, also known as the Sculpted Vegan, about all things strong and, of course, all things sculpted. So, on today's podcast, I have a very special guest. I've been doing a lot of guest interviews recently, but that's just because I've been digging deep into the resources that I have, the people that I know to bring you the best positive mindset resources that I can possibly. Bring you to get through this really difficult time. So, if you're listening to this podcast um, later on, this is being recorded at the end of March 2020, when the world is in the middle of a global pandemic, aka COVID-19, the coronavirus. And um, I am what I'm trying to do is bring together all of the resources that I have to literally just uplift your spirits, keep you going, let you know it's all going to be okay, and that I'm here to support you. So, in today's podcast, I am interviewing a guy called Brian Keen. Now, Brian. Brian. Brian is from Galway. I'm actually from Belfast up in the north of Ireland. Brian is from Galway in the south of Ireland. And he reached out to me um, about six months ago and invited me to be a guest on his podcast. And I agreed to be a guest and we had the Best crack. Now, crack is another word for um, fun in Ireland. It's spelled C R A I C. And so I just loved being on Brian's podcast because any podcast um, interviews I've ever done before have usually been with um, Americans, actually. Been on a couple of English podcasts, but as a guest, usually on American ones. And I am asked very frequently to be a guest on podcasts. And so whenever I was on Brian's one, it was so much fun simply because whenever you speak to someone from your own country, you know, especially there's not very many people doing the online world, doing the, you know, um, what Brian and I are doing in Ireland. So it's um, it's just lovely to connect with someone from your own country. And Brian and I really connected. We had such a similar mindset. You know, we just, we connected on so many things, on fear mindsets, on, you know, on how to be productive, on how to achieve your goals. Whenever Brian and I were talking recently, I said to him, he actually has a new book out and it's called Rewire Your Mindset. Um, he has another one called The Fitness Mindset, but I said to him, really, I said, you know, you know, you could just, I said, you could just completely rewrite your book. I said, you know, you would open it up and inside would say, nobody cares, work harder. The end. (laughs) <laughs> and he started to laugh and he was like, oh my God, it's so fucking true. You know, it's just like, nobody cares, work harder. And, uh, and that's what I love about Brian. You know, he's just like a pull up your big boy pants and get on with it kind of guy. But not only that, he has so much knowledge. You know, he's he's young, he's much younger than me, but he has achieved incredible things in his life. He has run six um, marathons back to back through the Sahara Desert. He's run through the Antarctica. He's done a hundred mile ultramarathon. He was actually training for an Ironman at the minute, but of course that's all put to bed now simply because he can't travel anywhere, can't train anywhere, can't do anything. But um, Brian is someone who in his young life has achieved so, so, so much. And I really think that he is going to share some absolutely epic shit with us today. So I cannot wait to go to the interview and to um, to catch up with him and to figure out what's going on in his life. And, and hopefully you're Going to learn so much from the strategies that he's going to teach you, not only in how to rewire your mindset to be successful in fitness or in business or in life, but how to rewire your mindset to really just get through what's happening to us at the minute. Because that's what my main focus is: is to helping you guys get through what's happening to you at the minute. We're all out of control, but the one thing we can control are our thoughts and our minds and our actions. So um, before I go to Brian, though, I just want to tell you that of course we are always doing a podcast giveaway. All you have to do to win one of our epic programs, including the 18-month Sculpt and Shred program, is simply to go and leave a review on this podcast on either iTunes or Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen to this, leave a review, take a screenshot of the review, and send it to me on Instagram. My Instagram name is at the Sculpted Vegan, and we are going to choose each month from someone who's left a review. You can leave four per month, or if we release more episodes than four, you can leave as many reviews as you like on the episodes, and you will be in with an epic chance of winning one of our incredible programs. So make sure that you leave the you to be in with the chance of winning because if you ain't in it you can't win it so let's go and chat to Brian and I will chat to you again at the end Brian Keane how are you this is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast because I was on yours recently so now I get to return the favor thank you very
1: much for having me on Kim I'm really looking forward to chatting that was one of my favorite podcasts I've re-listened to that last 10 minutes your rant on I don't know I won't go into the specific (laughs) and on the
0: angry (laughs) preachy vegans
1: yeah, but it's one of my favorite of all time. I put it in a separate intro. I'm like, this is the best rant ever.
0: <laughs> do you know, I've had so many people actually come to me um, after listening to your podcast and say, I found you through Brian Keane's podcast. And oh my God, I think you're epic. But do you know what? I think it is more than anything with you and I. I think because we're both Irish. And so we both... If there's definitely something about interviewing another, because I've never actually interviewed another Irish person on my podcast. And so I think that there's something about interviewing another Irish person where you just you just slip in to, you know, that, that banter, you know, that crack. You just slip into it like, um, and uh, quite often actually my Irish, my, well, probably what will happen here is my accent will become really thick because normally I turn Indian American whenever I interview people. But that's just because I'm very tonally accommodating. But with you, I'll turn into probably someone from Galway.
1: Yeah, that's what happens. I find anytime I have anyone that's American or UK based on the podcast, I'm speaking very slowly and <laughs> pronouncing every word. And then when someone's like Irish, it's like normal talk.
0: I'm so fast. You're like, oh, I'm <laughs> I love it. But listen, Brian, Um, thank you so much for being here today. You know, I, I did reach out to you a couple of weeks ago and say, I really want you on the podcast. I'll tell you why I said, well. Well, I'll tell you why. Actually, my reasons for wanting you on the podcast has slightly changed in that I um, I wanted you on the podcast, first of all, to um, talk about like your incredible new book that you've brought out because I absolutely love what it is that you teach. And I do still want to talk about your book today and about, you know, your whole journey and everything you, you've gone through. But I guess why I wanted to have you on so quickly and to really push this out was to make this very timely. So I wanted to, I think that, you know, every, everybody knows at the minute about the coronavirus what's happening with the coronavirus where everyone's on lockdown no one can go to the gyms you know and and the world is freaking out right is it happening in Ireland as well it's uh, well obviously in the south I'm in the north you're in the south
1: yeah yeah it's it's pretty much the same down here um we can talk on different directions on it because I'm in a little bubble in terms of the messages that I'm putting out around it because I'm like there's a lot of positive stuff to look at here (laughs) um so we might even talk about that and go into specifics but uh yeah, there is an, um not so much a negative angle, but there's a, a huge amount of fear and anxiety in the south at the minute, um, which I totally get. But as like most things, I try and put a positive spin in it, and that's the way that I'm seeing it. So, uh, yeah, the world's on lockdown at the minute, though.
0: Yeah, well, that's exactly why I wanted to have you on specifically today, because I thought, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to, you know, what I love to do in this podcast is to take concepts which are. Um, <laughs> I always say who, you know, one of my favorite sayings is how you do the dishes is how you do your life. Like where you are, wherever you are, there you go, you know, or no, maybe it's wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> I think that's what it is. All right. Wherever you go, there you are. Like you are who you are, who you are, wherever you go. So I think that if you're the kind of person who has a really positive mindset and you're the kind of person who will, you know, will find the joy in things, will find the positivity, will, you know, will have that kind of mindset. I think that it does transcend every area of your life. It enables you to do things like run. How many marathons was it you ran back to back? Six? I
1: did the marathon. saw was six back-to-back marathons, self-sufficient in the Sahara.
0: Yeah, right. Self-sufficient back-to-back marathons in the Sahara. If you can kind of do that, you know, you can survive the coronavirus. And there, you know, the gym's not being open for three months. You know, I so that's what I really want to bring in today. I want, to, I want to really talk about your mindset, where you came from, you know, why you have this mindset, how you think that it shaped you, and then how people can really use what it is that you teach to um to change their perception of what's happening right now and to really just give them some tools for moving forward. Does that sound good? Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, well, here's what I want to know first: like, you know, like, who is Brian and where did he come from? Like, like, t- like, tell us a little bit about you. Like, what's your background? How did you get into what it is that you're doing now? And uh, yeah, okay, let's start with that. Who, what's your background? How did you get into what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, so like a very long story short, no more than you came. Like, I no, love I love background. the
0: stories. Don't, don't don't shorten them.
1: Oh well, let's go let's go longer with it. So my background: uh, I used to be a primary school teacher. That was my. Kind of identity for a large part of my early 20s. I went to university, did the very traditional life of going to university, got a degree, got a job, landed my first teaching job, which was in London, in a, in a primary school in London. And I had gone through several years of education and landed on my first job and went, oh my God, this isn't what I want to do. I literally went tunnel vision for years. I played GEA all my life from the age of six. And then- GA, sp- sorry,
0: just for the American audiences-
1: uh, gay, gay, um, Gaelic football. So it's like a combination between NFL um, football and basketball. It's probably the best way, kind of rugby, soccer. It's a combination of all sports them everything. Yeah, really. It, it's just one of those. If somebody threw all the sports into a juggernaut and just like, <laughs> put all up and was like, right, this is Gaelic football. And so I played, played that all through my life. So I was sporty. But then in my early 20s, I went through the traditional educational system, went on to become a teacher, landed my first teaching job, and was like, this isn't what I want to do. And That's when everything kind of started to change. For a couple of years, I worked, very long story short, before we get back to Ireland in London, I worked as a primary school teacher during the day. And then I worked as a personal trainer at nighttime. So after getting my first ever teaching job, I hated it. Like Kim, I hated my first job. I landed into the school in England and I was like, I'm not enjoying this at all. I love the kids and loved working with them, but hated the paperwork and hated everything else that came alongside it. And as a result of that, like I fell into like a very mild depression. Like I really connect with people when they're talking about mental health issues. I've had most of my life have been kind of anxiety, is the 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 one the the gorilla that I've had to battle. But that was the time in my life when I had to battle that environmental depression and I remember having a conversation with my mom that Christmas after getting my first job and I didn't want to go back to London I was like yeah, like throwing my toys out of the pram I'm like I'm not going to London it's terrible I hate it I hate everything about it it wasn't like my friends were great everything else is great I just hated my job but I was just blinded by uh, unfulfillment in what I was doing and she asked me something that I've put to a load of people and I constantly put on my podcast to people and challenge them with this question she goes okay you don't like your teaching job what would you do for free and I was like, oh. This is your
0: mom like, said this?
1: My mom said it. She Very goes, wise would, mom. Like, what would you do for free? She is. She's like, anytime I ever sprout anything wise on any of my platforms, I'm like, my mom gave me that. Oh. Um, yeah, she's the best. But I was like, I'd work in a gym. She was like, well, okay, why don't you go do that? And I was like, but I can't work in a gym. And she was like, why can't you work in a gym? I was like, well, I don't have any of the qualifications to start. You know, being really like challenging <laughs> and pushing back with this person that was like literally trying to help me. I was like, no, but I don't have any qualifications. She was like, why don't you go get the qualifications? I'm like, Oh, there's an idea. So she <laughs> sounds so obvious when I say it in hindsight. Love it. Yeah. But she actually signed me up to my first ever fitness instructor course. So I'm back to London. That was, uh, 2011, January, 2011. I went back to London, did a personal tra- or a fitness instructor course on the side as I was teaching. And I walked into that instructor course first day. And I'm like, this is what I meant to do. I'm like, I would rather, and this is the first time ever in my life, I was like, I'd rather get paid £20,000 a year working in a gym than £100,000 a year as a teacher. I'm like, it was the first time ever I had drawn that distinction between success and happiness and monetary reward. And I kept going down that path. So a few months later, I went and did my personal training, then I went and did my strength and conditioning badges, and I went and did my sports nutrition badges. Um, And then in 2014, I moved back to Ireland for two years. As I said, I did both. I worked as a teacher during the day and I worked as a personal trainer at nighttime. Really because I was like, being completely honest, it was because I was afraid to make the jump. I was like steady wage, you know, like I love Nassim Taleb's line, you know, there's two real addictions in life, heroin and a steady wage. And that's how I felt. I was like, I was hooked on the the, the weekly wage and the monthly wage. But eventually I made the jump in 2014, moved back in with my mom and dad, my sister gave me her old little Toyota Yaris which was like a 2000 Toyota Yaris like one of those cars that you turn the ignition in the morning and you're like please start please, please, start, start, please
0: start. start yes oh, had one of those
1: it was it was one of those and i moved back in 2014 and one of the philosophies that I teach and tell people about is like ladder up against the right wall. You know, when I was working as a teacher, I'm like, I was halfway up a ladder, but it was against the wrong wall. When I came back in 2014 to work as a personal trainer and work in the fitness industry, I'm like, I'm at the bottom of the ladder. I was like, nobody knows who I am. I have no podcast. I have no social media. I had no clients at that stage, but I'm like, my ladder's up against the right wall. And because I had been working as a trainer for two years in London, I'd worked out my craft. So I was quite good as a trainer. It's just that nobody knew who I was. But over the space of six months, I built up a waiting list of people. I then had to bring on other trainers with me. And then in two thousand and sixteen, I moved online. Two thousand and seventeen, wrote my first book. And um, all in this midst, this is what we talked about a little bit on my pod. On when you were on my podcast, I competed. You know, and I, the reason I started competing, and I was in the WBFF. I was in. I got my pro card at Miami Pro in two thousand and fourteen in the Muslim Fitness Model category, and then went on to the world in Vegas in and finished eighth in two thousand and fifteen. And I use that as a platform to get my name out there for people. So it worked as a business. There wasn't many people competing, particularly in Galway, because I moved back to the west of Ireland in Galway to a relatively small place. And because I was competing and then I was getting photo shoots, et cetera, my name was out there and I started getting business as a result of that. And then in 2015, I did my last show. My daughter was born that year. And then for me, I wasn't able to balance the two because I I get very tunnel visioned when I'm setting a goal and you know, we talked about this blinded by it, something that can happen, you know, and I know we, you connected this more than anybody and I stepped away from competing in 2015 because my daughter was born a few months before that. And then in 2017, released my first book, which did amazing. You know, it was 16 weeks on the Amazon bestseller list, uh, moved my business online in 2016. And then over the last couple of years, I've just been traveling around the world doing ultra-endurance events. So the Marathon to Saab, the six back-to-back self-sufficient marathons, I did that in 2018. I ran through the Arctic Circle, 230 kilometers in 2019. So you slowed
0: down a wee bit as you got older then? Yeah. <laughs>
1: But it's weird because <laughs> what, I find, what I love about ultra endurance, not to sidetrack, but what I love about endurance and running, well, I don't love running first and foremost. I yes, a, I understand. Ultra, yeah, the ultra marathon runner that absolutely hates to run, but I love what it gives me. It gives me a lot of self-discipline. But when I was competing and tracking all my calories and my meals, that was so all-encompassing. So I found that I wasn't able to switch off from that. Whereas when I'm doing ultramarathons and doing ultra endurance events or triathlon, I'm like, I just get up earlier. I train. And once my workout's done, it's pretty easy to optimize recovery. Just eat enough food and do your recovery. But your life doesn't really get in the way of that. But what I found when I was competing, because you know what it's like, you know, a few weeks before a show, you're brain dead. Like you can't do the simplest tasks. Um, and I just wasn't enjoying that process. So once I got what I needed out of it, I left that world and went into endurance. Um, and then, as I said, 2019 ran through the Arctic um, in February. So last month I did my first 100 mile ultramarathon. Um, and now obviously with the lockdown and COVID, I was training for Ironman and that was going to be the next thing on the list. But uh, yeah, that's kind of a short synops- synopsis of, primary school teacher to, you know, person that runs... To fitness online.
0: guru, fitness yeah, guru around the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And Brian, awesome. tell me, Fitness Mindset, your first book, where did the idea for that come from or how did that all come about? So
1: one of the philosophies that I applied to that book and I still apply to my writing to this day is don't write, one, don't write a book you wouldn't read um, and two, don't write a book that's already been written. Um, meaning that I was getting a lot of my clients, especially my one-to-one clients at the time, when I started writing the book just before I moved online, I was finding that a lot of my clients knew, my avatar and my customers knew that they should lift weights, that it was a good way to increase their metabolism. They knew that high-intensity cardio or some form of cardio was going to be beneficial. They just didn't know, should they do high-intensity or low-intensity? They knew all these things, that they had a good baseline of fitness, But they still fell off track. They still couldn't stick to their diet. They still couldn't stick to a training routine. They still didn't know how to set a goal so that they weren't falling off. They didn't know how to reset if they had a bad training session or a bad day or a bad meal, et cetera. So the idea of the fitness mindset and where I came up with it was I didn't have a resource to send people to. They would come to me and go, you know, how do I get in shape? And I'm like, right, you know, you want to do bodybuilding? Go check out Schwarzenegger's book. You want to do CrossFit? Go check out this book. You want to do ultramarathon? Go check out this book. But people were like, no, no, I know what I need to do there, but how do I get my mindset right so I can stick to it? So I wrote that book, I split into two sections. The first half is just all fitness-based. It's nutrition, training, sleep, hydration, everything you need to know to get in shape. And the whole second section is all the mindset side. So how to set up your day, daily habits, set goal setting, finding a why so that you don't fall off track, how to reset if you fall off and have a couple of bad days. You know, all these things that help you stay on track that help you stay in shape once you get there. So I wrote the book with that in mind and all I was doing every time I wrote it and every time I sat down to write was, right, is this helping my, you know, I always had a person in mind. I'm like, I have my avatar in mind, the person I was trying to help. And every time I'd write a chapter, I'm like, right, does that serve this person? If the answer was yes, I kept it. And if it didn't, I took it out and then I just cut it down to the bare bones. It's a short read that people can just pick up and get everything they need. Um, And I just wrote a book that was not out there. I wanted somewhere to send people. And the theory was, if it helps the few people that need it, great. You know, if it doesn't sell that many copies, I can live with that. You know, I got very fortunate. It did end up helping a load of people. And, you know, I'm very fortunate with the way that it went. It's a bestseller now, isn't it? Yeah. And that was the reason. That's, that's, that's where it came from. Um, and that was always the intention when I was writing it was just to help the people who were struggling. To, they knew how to get in shape for the most part, even if they didn't know the best way to do it, they knew that they should lift weights, do cardio, track their calories, et cetera, but they were still falling off track. So that's why I wrote the book too.
0: It's funny because I actually have a, um, a coach and she always says, knowing what to do is useless without the emotional strength to do what you know. And it's like, we all know what we need to do, or at least we can get a plan as to what we need to do in order to lose weight or start a business or do whatever. But unfortunately, we just don't have the emotional strength just to carry it through. And it's something, obviously, you know, the reason why you and I connect so well is because I think that we have a very similar mindset, you know, like this dog mindedness, you know, or I don't even know whatever you would call it, dogmatic mindset, maybe, but you just keep going and keep going. But where did you learn that, Brian? Like, where was there something in your childhood or something that were you like, or, or some experience you had growing up where? that really shaped that determination that you seem to have that you can teach to others?
1: Yeah. And the reason I teach it it is such a great question, Kim. The reason I teach it is because I struggled with it. And I always find one of the reasons I was so good as a primary school teacher was because I wasn't a great student. You know, I learn in different ways. um, And I always use the example of I was a brilliant maths teacher for, you know, my 10 and 11 year olds because I was crap at maths. I'm like, so I was able to break things down to its simplest form. And when I'm teaching people about mindset and dedication and commitment and going after things and then pushing and persevering through, I'm like, the only reason I can teach you that is because I was on the other side of that spectrum. Like the analogy that I use is it's like the person that's in shape now who was overweight in their earlier life. I'm like, they're now in shape and they know how to get there, but they're very, very aware and conscious that they could go back to this if they let it happen. And that's how I am when it comes to my mindset, because I was very weak. Like I'd say up until the age of 22, 23 came, I said, I quit everything I ever signed up to. Like I'd sign up to runs, 10 kilometers, half marathons, and I'd never do them. I'd sign up to like little small local shows, bodybuilding shows. I'm like, no, I would talk myself out of them. You know, fear disguised as practicality. There was always a good excuse. Like Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of an excuse. Like it sounds so good to you at the time. You know, you're like, oh yeah, that does make sense. I don't have time for that right now. Or, oh yeah, that's taken away from other areas of my life. Yeah, I'm not going to do that now. And the excuse is so, um, it's hypnotic, you know, it pulls Mm -hmm. you in. And what I started to realize the first one ever that gave me the confidence, and this is why I have such a positive emotion with things like you know fitness modeling competitions, because that first one I ever did gave me so much confidence, and the reason it gave me so much confidence was because i i don 't know if you ever did this, but I definitely did, and some people listening to this would be the same. I used to put people. And not only people, but other certain events on pedestals. So the language I would use was, you know, bodybuilding shows is something that other. I was like, that's cool and real, that's awesome that people do it, but it's something other people do. You know, or marathons. I'm like, that's great, but 26.2 miles, that's long. That's something other people do. People have businesses. You know, that's great. You know, I started to be a teacher. I work as a teacher running my own business is something that other people do. Running businesses is something other people do. And that was the language I had on it. And the reason I got so much confidence from my first ever fitness modeling show was because that was the first time ever I had this goal in mind that I wasn't really sure that I could do. And I didn't fully believe it until I did it. And the show was over and I did really well. I came forward in my first ever show, which gave me even more confidence. And I'm like, oh my okay. God, I'm like, where else, you know, what, what else am I not going after i'm like where else am i like letting myself fall down because i'm afraid you know Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day it comes down to fear in the most part like you're afraid afraid of people will think afraid you'll fail worse afraid of success which is a big thing what happens if i get it and i don't know how to handle it like that's a real thing too like one of the stories i told myself this is idiotic kim but i'll share it with you anyway no it's great i love the stories one of the things I used to tell myself all the time that this sounds so stupid when I say it out loud was the reason I didn't start my own fitness business was because fitness was my passion. I'm like, if I do my passion, I'll fall out of love with my passion. I'm like, that is the stupidest thing ever. I'm like, why, why would you like the thing you love isn't the, like when you do the thing you love,
0: it feels like you've never worked a day in your life. Yeah, but we're like, not trained that way. We're, t- we're trained as as young kids that you know, that, that, that your job is a job, that it's, that it's boring, that it's not something that you're passionate and excited about, that it's, you know, you get up every day and you go to work. I don't know how you were raised, but certainly in, I was raised in a little country town called, uh, village called Island McGee. My dad still lives there. You people got up in the day and they went to work. And if you weren't working in your job, you were working, we had, a, you know, a small holding, you were working, you had horses, you were, you were working on the land. We were painting fences on the weekend. You know, we you work was something that you did to earn a living. And there was certainly no, so I never saw my parents living their passions, <laughs> you know? So I don't know whether or not it's something that it's learned, per, you know, whenever we were younger, but I was going to actually ask you, you were talking about fear. You literally walked right into my next question because my next question, and I, and I, sorry, I know you were on a roll there, but I, I think this will loop it back in. Fear, do you think that you were afraid of, were you, were you, I can't, were you a talented child? I talented was, as in like, you seem like, you, you know, you You got the gift of the gab, you're, you know, you seem like you could just, you were a pretty confident, talented child. Do you think you were afraid of failure?
1: I was afraid of failure. Yeah, I, I I won't say I was super talented. I was very aware of what I was good at. And I still am to this day. Right. Um, I think that's if I had a superpower, that's my superpower. Like I'm very aware that I can speak and articulate things quite well well, I'm very aware there's other things that I can't do. Like you know, we joked just before we went on air. I have a stand up desk here. Like I could be looking at that desk for the next six years and I wouldn't be able to put it together. I'm like, I want to give somebody fifty or hundred euro and put it together. I'm like, you know, you know, and there's there's variations of that. And when I was growing up, I think fear because I grew up in a sports family. Um, and like my dad is an All Ireland medal for football. My mum is an All Ireland medal for basketball. Like we're a sporty family. So I, I'm fortunate and talented in that, where I can turn my hand in any sport. You know, there's certain things I'm really bad at, but sport isn't one of them. And physical fitness isn't one of them. I'm quite good with that. Um, and I think, as you said, how you do the dishes is how you do everything. Like, because I didn't like failing in that sport. And because I didn't fail at sport, I didn't really learn how to cope with it because I always did quite well in it. And as a result of that, it didn't translate into giving me life skills to learn how to deal with failure elsewhere. And when it came to fear then, one of the biggest mistakes I had was I didn't realize that real fear and perceived fear were two different things. Mm -hmm. I'm like, they're two very different things. I'm like, real fear is that there's a legitimate chance something physically bad could happen to you right now you know running through the sahara and the arctic taught me that i'm like look you could get bitten by a snake and it's if it's poisonous there's a real risk that there's going to be a problem with this you know you could fall through the ice they're real fears legitimate fears where perceived fears are you know people will laugh at me if i start my own business or you know um uh, that girl won't say hello back to me or that guy you know, won't be attracted to me or whatever it is, or I won't ask for that job or that raise or that promotion. They're all perceived fears. And once I was able to separate those two things, it made it a lot easier. But until I started to do that, I was still getting the two of them muddled up together. And once the, what I generally advise people that are similar to me is ask yourself what you're afraid of and start deconstructing it. I'm like, is this a real fear or is it a perceived fear? Because if it's a perceived fear, you can get tools and tactics to handle it. You know, um, the COVID-19 is a great example now. Like that's a perceived fear in terms of that the real fear is the danger of what could happen if you get it. The perceived fear is watching seven hours of the news and looking at the, the, the statistics that's going to freak you out. I'm like, there are two different things. I'm like, all right, cool. One is you get this COVID-19 and you have to deal with the problem. I'm like, right, that's yeah, fine. And I'm you like,
0: try and prevent it. it. You wash your hands, you disinfect, yeah. you stay away. You, yeah, you, know, you socially distance yeah. yourself, all that.
1: Yeah. And they are all the things you can do around that. But everything else is the perceived fear. I'm like, you can also do things around that. I'm like, you know, I do 10 minutes every morning. I check the update. I've on my Google, on my Safari, on my phone, update coronavirus Ireland, 10 minutes every morning. I check the update to stay informed and that's it. It doesn't get checked until the following morning. And that minimizes that kind of scaremongering that you're going, like, you know, the analogy I use is don't plant apple trees and expect oranges to grow. Like mm-hmm. don't watch seven hours of the news and think you're going to be really positive with everything that's going on. You it's know, strange. be very mindful of that. Um, and I think fear, once you learn how to handle fear across the board, it transcends other areas of your life, whether that's fear of failure, fear of success, fear of the unknown, fear of, you know, which is what the COVID-19 is, it's fear of the unknown. We're afraid of things mm-hmm. we don't know. And then once you pull the curtain back, you tend not to be afraid. That's why information is so powerful. That's Mm -hmm. why your podcast and the information you put out, it reduces that fear with people, you know, around like how many people have you said that have jumped onto the vegan program and been like, look, I'm going to lose all my muscle. And you're like, no, 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 no. This is how you do it. And Mm -hmm. that fear goes away. Then I'm like, that's why I'm like, that's information. That's what fitness gurus do. And when you put out that content, I've sent a load of vegan people your way. I know they
0: always message me on Instagram. Yeah, I'm like, I'm
1: going to lose all my size if I go vegan. I'm like, go look at Kim. <laughs> I'm, like, yeah. I'm like, no, you're not. 40-year-old like, mother
0: of four not doing too badly on the muscle yeah, steaks. Like, like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah, I was like,
1: you're going to be fine. I was like, you're, you're 24, single, you've got time. You're, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, you're, your body just builds muscle while you're sleeping. But here, listen, talking about the fear, okay? So just because we're on this now, I'm and really, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So... Um, you're totally right about it. I love what you were saying about the perceived fear. And um, I, I think that's, I'll tell you what happened to me. The reason why I asked the question is because something really sticks in my mind. So whenever I was younger, I was the youngest of three kids, right? And I was really quite talented as a, as a young child. Talented as in, I had the gift of the gab. I could speak to anyone. I could entertain people. I could sing. I could dance. I did Irish dancing. You know, my, I lived, very, we I had a very close-knit family. My grandmother, my great-grandmother lived right next door, like adjoining our house. So they showered us with love. And affection and attention. And so I got a lot of attention for being, you know, quite talented in inverted commas whenever I was younger. I was naturally good at sports. I was naturally good at kind of anything that I did. But the, um, the unfortunate thing with naturally gifted children is once they reach a point where they need to push past the naturally gifted and they actually have to start to work. To achieve better results, that's when they normally give it up and move sideways. So I would have, you know, gotten to a point in Irish dancing where now I actually, you know, I, I, I picked it up quite quickly and now I actually had to put in the work to be better. And I was like, no, I don't like Irish dancing anymore. And then so then I would go to something else and then it would be the same with that. And I'd go to something else. And I had this experience once where I was in school and I was picked for the, I decided I was going to do athletics and I was picked, I was quite good at hurdling. So I was picked for the hurdle team and I went to this um, meet on a Saturday, this athletics meet on a Saturday. and. We were warming up, you know, for the hurdles meet. And I suddenly, as I was warming up, I was suddenly paralyzed with fear that, oh my God, what if I absolutely make a complete dick of myself here and I come last, right? What if I come last? And so I uh, purposely, like we didn't purposely, but I pretended that I got, when I was young, I was like 12 or something. I pretended that I got injured. While warming up, so that I didn't have to do the race, and so I I didn't do the race, and, and so I was like, oh, I can't run the race because I'm injured, and I totally bottled out of doing it because I was so terrified of failing. And it's funny how that one little thing has kind of shaped my existence, you know, moving forward from there. Because it, I don't know whether I realized at the time or I realized as, as I got older, but. I really realized that I was, I was so good at getting to a certain point and then moving sideways. And then I got to a certain point and I moved sideways, got to a certain point and I moved sideways. And what really transformed for me was whenever I started my business and I was determined that I was going to be successful and having to push through failure, you know, failing and trying again and failing and trying again and failing and trying again is actually what really transformed it for me. And so I suppose what I, um, what I'm interested in, you know, um, I, I know this is what you teach people, but what do you see with people who come into you, your clients, or people who contact you via Instagram or read your book or whatever? You know, do you see a pattern of behavior in that? Is there a reason that people can't get fit or can't achieve a goal or can't push past that? Is there is there something that you would advise people who are listening to this and are saying that's me, that's me, that's me? I just I can't seem to motivate myself. What would your advice be? for the average person who really would love to achieve greatness but can't get there what's your your top strategy or what is it you advise people
1: well two there's two that kind of jump to mind because i see it's the same reason that people fall off track um, and it's it's normally a combination of like a super obvious one with the not so obvious one like the super obvious one is people don't have a goal like if i hit a euro when i used to work as a one-to-one personal trainer for every time someone was like i want to lose weight I'm like that's not. I was like I want to lose weight. It isn't a goal. I'm like, do you want to lose 10 pounds? Do you want to lose hundred pounds? I'm like, how long do you want to lose? Just chop your leg off.
0: You want to lose ten yeah, pounds? I'm chop like, leg hey,
1: leg lose <laughs> 10 pounds straight away. Just chop your leg off. Like you know, are people going to want to run? You know, at uh, ten kilometers. I'm like, do you want to run it today? I'm like, or do you <laughs> want to run it in weeks? Like. Yeah. I'm like getting clear on the goal. I'm like, so if you're not specific and clear on the front end, I'm like, you're going to have no chance when things get difficult. You know, so getting very clear on the front end why you're doing it. And then to kind of piggyback off that before I get into the second point is like, be clear on why you're doing it. I'm like, one of the things I used to do with my clients is like, ask why three times. I'll never forget. I had one of my girls come to me back when I used to do one-to-one personal training. All my stuff's online now, similar to you. But back when I used to do one-to-one training, I had a girl come to me and she sat me down and she was... About 30 pounds overweight. She definitely had about 30 pounds she could comfortably lose. And she came to me and she was like, Well, look, I want to lose 30 pounds. I'm like, all right, cool. She goes, I've got my sister's wedding in three weeks. I'm like, all right, let's go. <laughs> I'm like, right, okay. But I wanna lose I wanna lose 30 pounds in three weeks. I'm like, all right, okay, okay, let's let's Take a step back here, right? And I was like, "Well, if you're not going to lose thirty pounds in three weeks, first and foremost," I was like, "Potentially, I was like, if you want me to cut all your food, we'll load your water, we'll cut your water, all this stuff that's totally unsustainable, you'll rebound back the other side. We can totally do that." And she's like, "No, no, I don't really want to do that." I'm like, "Right, let's get a plan in place." So the first and foremost was we got a structured plan, realign those expectations up front. But then I remember I asked her, I was like, "Why do you want to lose thirty pounds for your wedding?" She goes, oh, because there's a dress I want to fit into. I was like, all oh, right okay. I'm like, why do you want to fit into the dress for the wedding? She goes, oh, um, because you know I want to feel sexy and confident when I'm at the wedding. I'm like, right, why do you want to feel sexy and confident in your dress at the wedding? She's like, oh, a guy I fancy is going. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm like, there we go. I'm like, now we figured out why you're here. So not only do I have like a potential carrot I can use if we need to, she know now she now knows why she's with me in the first place. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to lose thirty pounds even as good as better than I want to lose weight, isn't enough. I'm like, you need to know why you're doing it in the first place. You know, the same way as when I sign up for endurance events, I'm like, I'm doing it so that my life feels easier. You know, like I can't complain about things because running, you know, through the Sahara and running out of food or tearing my Achilles in the Arctic, which I did, I'm like, they were all problems. I'm like, now when somebody calls me a twat on Instagram, I'm like, oh, that's <laughs> a problem. not a real problem. Dying in the Arctic real problem and perspective, but I have a why, so I know why I'm doing it, but it's relative because her version of, I wanted to feel confident and sexy in front of this guy. I fancy is my version of, I want my life to feel easier when people are attacking me or whatever reason it is, you know, so getting clear on that. So they're the first two things that kind of combine, but then the other is a lot of people and you will see this. And this is what I love about you and your content is people see failure as a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Like, That's the biggest difference in all the people I've been, you know, 270 podcast episodes in now. And the same trend I see with successful people is none of them see failure as a bad thing. They're like, failure is feedback. They're like, it's a feedback on what I not to do next time, you know? So every business is a great example, but fitness is the same. Every failed business adventure is like, all right, cool. Where were the good things? What did I do wrong here? What can I do better going forward? And you move forward, you know. And fitness is the same. Every failed diet, every bad training program, everything that you've done up until now that didn't work is all feedback on what you could potentially do next time. Relationships are a great example. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm like every bad relationship you've been in is like the best feedback ever because you learn fuck all from like a successful relationship. You learn everything from the bad ones because you take the failure, you take the feedback, and then you move forward and you apply it to the next thing, and. What I generally find with people when they come through fitness is they don't realise that as long as you don't macro fail, micro failures are fine. I'm right. like, if you fall off, if you've got your diet dialed in six of the six days of the week, and you fell off track once one day during the week, I'm like, all right, that's not ideal, but we reset and we go again. I'm like, don't let one day turn into three days. Don't let three days turn into seven days. You know, the analogy I use to people is with diet and the weekend is an example, but COVID nineteen is another example. I'm like, if you have a bad meal or a bad training session, or miss a training session, like that's the equivalent. And then you go, fuck it, press the fuck it button for the rest of the week. And you're like, all right, I'm done. That's like driving your car down the road, getting a flat tire, and then slashing the other
0: three tires. That's one of the analogies I use all the time. I love it. It's so true. It's like,
1: but we do it. Like we go, oh, fuck it. You know, I fell off my diet on Saturday. You know, I get back on it Monday. I'm like, no. I was like, you could totally get back on it like the next meal. Like just get your right right now. You went wrong with breakfast, but they're micro failures. Like there's a big difference between a macro failure on, I had this goal of losing 30 pounds or whatever it is. And I failed and didn't hit that versus I fell off track today, which is a micro failure. You get back on it tomorrow and you just keep doing that over and over again. I think once you get very clear on your goal, you get very clear on why you're doing it. And you make yourself make peace with the fact that you're going to have micro failures because welcome to life. That's how it happens. And you get used to that and you apply that logic to your weight loss, your fitness goals. It makes everything easier because at least then, you know, you're going to war with the a toolkit full of good weapons, <laughs> like, arm yourself on the front end you know, um, and give yourself the best chance to succeed. And that's from my experience, how people do it. And, and if anyone else listening isn't doing that, I'm like, read, go back to the drawing board, you know, arm yourself with that in the front end. And you're much more likely to hit any end goal you have in your fitness or weight loss or whatever goal it is you're trying to achieve.
0: Yeah. It's funny. I always say to people in my program, sometimes they come in and they have, you know, multiple failures and they're like, not multiple failures, but they'll say to me, you know, Kim, I really want to do this and want to like Q and A's and they'll, and so this, I really want to lose weight. I just, I really want to get some of this body fat off and whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I give them, the specific plan. I go, do this, do this. Cardio X amount of times a week, increase it by five, minutes. you know, set your end date, give them five minutes, decrease your calories. Like I give them very specific advice. And then maybe four weeks I'll be doing a live again. And then they come back to me and they're like, Kim, I really want to lose weight. Same person. And I go, okay, did you do what I told you to do last time? No. Okay. Don't fucking come and ask me for advice anymore. <laughs> you know, if you're going to be an asshole and you're not going to do it, I'm not going to give you any more advice. And so then, but quite often what I say to them is in a very gentle, loving way is you maybe just don't want it enough. You know, you you know, and I think there's a difference. Sometimes people want to want it in their head, or they think they should want it.
1: Yeah, which is totally fine. But don't fool yourself or like annoy Kim or anybody else. Like if if you don't want it bad enough, that's fine. Like, but don't be asking everybody for their advice. Like that's I think that's one of the things I've I've made peace with. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut across yet. No, it's good. Go for it. No, I wanted your care. advice on it. You know, like one of the things I've made peace with over the last few years, I'm like, people don't My expectation, unless you're, you know this from working with people, unless you've paid me to work with you and help you get into shape, I'm going to let you do what you want. I'm going to offer the advice, but I'm not going to hold you accountable to it. I'm like, if you don't want it, that's fine. And I'm okay with that. You know, and it's a different scenario where people that have paid you for programs. You're like, no, my job is to keep you accountable. We need to get you on track. But for everybody else, I'm like, if you don't want it bad enough, that's fine. I'm yeah, like, but
0: you can't want like, it more for your client than they want it for themselves. I always say that to people. I'm like, I can't want this for you more than you want this for yourself. I'm not here to beat you into getting, achieving your goals. I'm here to, to set it. And then as you fall off, I'm here to be your your yardstick to get you back on track again. I'm not here to 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 be like going behind you with a stick, beating you into getting, you know, doing what you're supposed to do. And if you're looking for that, you're never going to be successful.
1: No, well, it's, that, it's the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Like, that's why setting a why and why you're doing it. That that girl about the guy she fancied, I'm like, right, she she doesn't have a weight loss issue. She has a, I want to feel sexy and confident issue. I'm like, they're two different things. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is just the external version of what you want. You're looking for this internal feeling, which is confidence and feeling sexy in a room, etc. I'm like, that's different. All we're doing is trying to map your body and your body shape to what you want to feel like on the inside. I'm like, once you do that, that's way easier because now you have an intrinsic why and motivation to why you're doing it because nobody can give you that. You have to, you can, you might have a coach that can probe you with it, but anybody can ask themselves. Like I've done that at times where I'm like, Oh, I'd love to how many times have you been like, mm, I wouldn't mind being in photo shoot condition again, you know, <laughs> a little bit leaner. And then you're like, nah, there's a lot of birthdays coming up in this place.
0: You're like, Oh, wine. <laughs> oh, beer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for beer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean,
1: And you're okay with that. You're like, yeah, these foods are awesome. Like cheesecake and some beer. I'm like, I'm all over that. So I'm like, all right, I don't really want to be 5% body fat. I'm like, I'd rather have the beer and cake right now. But there's other times when you want to be the 5% body fat.
0: Yeah, and then you're focused towards your goals.
1: And that's fine. And and understanding that life isn't this linear, straight upwards path of always being better. Sometimes you're like, right, I'm not going to focus on my fitness now. I'm going to focus on business. I'm not going to focus on business now. I'm going to focus on family. And you're doing mm-hmm. like a minimum effective dose in your training. You're just mm-hmm. going in, keeping things ticking over because you have other priorities. That's fine. Like be mm-hmm. be okay with that. Get make peace with that, and ask yourself like, you made the best point ever. Like if you don't want it bad enough, that's totally fine. Right. Like but at least be honest
0: with yourself. Like, talk to me about personal honesty and what you see around that. Well, like
1: one of the hardest things, you know, we talked about this when you were on and I connected with it so much because it's something I do as well. Like that extreme ownership approach of, like, I I genuinely believe everything is my fault, you know, in the the best way possible. And the reason I do... Or
0: my responsibility even, which sounds,
1: feels better than fault. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: My responsibility, my, uh, my, my language needs uh, to No, no,
0: no, it doesn't. But I think that sometimes I think, it, I think sometimes language is important and I, you know, and fault implies blame to me, you know, and I think that as kids, we're always like, whose fault is this? Who did? Whereas if I'm like, I am responsible, you know, for the, sorry, I didn't mean to like correct you, <laughs> yeah, no, no, <laughs> but I think that, you know, it is, I think fault implies blame for me personally and, and responsibility reply implies there's a more solid feeling to it, if that makes sense. But anyway, yeah, just, go on. Sorry. Go, go, go.
1: Your ability to respond to a situation, right. it's in the wording, so yeah, your wording is totally better. I'm <laughs> but, like,
0: okay, Brian, talking. you can now proceed that I have correct, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but that ownership <laughs> and responsibility, like, you know, I, I think that's key for everything. Like, my entire philosophy is like, own a control of change. And I'm like, when you take responsibility and right. own whatever thing it is you have, it's back within your control, and when it's in your control, you can change it, you know. And one of the analogies that I use for people, I'm like, I'm not sure what you're like as a driver, but I'm a terrible passenger driver. And I'm like, that comes down to a control issue. I'm like, when you're driving a car, you're in control of it. So you feel more confident. You're like, yeah, yeah, this is all in my control. When you're a passenger, you're not. And a lot of that like, oh, that nerviness and unsteadiness comes from a lack of control. And the way that I fought against things like, you know, mental health issues and all these other not hitting goals, business fears, life fears, et cetera, was taking responsibility for them, taking full ownership of, right, this is the way you feel, regardless of how bad it is, now it's in your control and now you can change it. You know, I had, I spoke about, you know, the 800 pound gorilla of anxiety. Like that was my, one of the, I've, I've reframed this in the last few years. And I think you might may connect to someone that's kind of very type A, like me, very go, 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 get it done, get it done, get it done, get it done. Mm-hmm. And one of the benefits of that for me, I think you're similar, is it means that we're not, we don't struggle to see the end goal. You know, I think entrepreneurs have this as well. Like you, you can see the bigger vision. You can see the pictures. Like you don't, you're not clear on how you're going to get there, but you can see it clearly mm-hmm. in your mind. Where... that's the benefit of that but the cost of that means that you're constantly living in this future and that's Mm -hmm. what anxiety is it's constantly worrying about all these things that can go wrong and i was in this perpetual state of anxiety like you know i remember when i did the world the 2015 worlds like it was just a few months before my girlfriend at the time was pregnant with my daughter and I remember like, crying into my steering wheel about four weeks out from a show. I'm like, I just be completely overwhelmed and anxiety. I'm like, you know, f- you know first time dad, I'm like, I'm gonna be a crap dad. I'm like, I'm gonna do crap at the show. You know, nobody's gonna talk to me and like me, all these things mm-hmm. that like, are ludicrous. But what happens when one thing goes, it's like a domino effect yes. and everything is wrong. And I remember like bawling into my steering wheel, like crying into my steering wheel in my car. And it was the first time ever I'm like, right, Instead of like being in this victim mode and this woe is me, I'm like, just t- take responsibility for the fact now, this is the way you feel. I'm like, be instead of like avoiding it because what I did was I let it build up and I'm like I'm fine, I'm fine like the Irish thing I'm fine, I'm grand I'm grand, I'm grand I'm grand. it's not a problem and then it's as if someone just like hits you with this thunderbolt and it all gets you at once and that's what happened to me I was, I'll i never forget until the day I die like crying behind my steering wheel you know and I was like mm-hmm. 95 kilos at this stage because I was just you know I was big like in the, coming mm-hmm. into shows and I was this big, massive bodybuilder guy balling behind the steering wheel of a car. I'm like, I oh, hope no one sees me. And like, just one a big of those of pussycat <laughs> I'm only joking. But that's how I felt. And but the only reason I it got that far was because I was ignoring the signs up till that. Like it's like if you're driving your car and the warning signs are on, and you're like, "Oh, damn, but I'll you hit it.
0: rock bottom, and there's really, and it's 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 life changing to hit rock bottom.
1: But when it, but when you do you can see up. Like that's yes. the beauty of the rock bottom. You know, it's the old analogy, you know, the old phrase that, you know, you hit rock bottom, there's no place to go but up. But that's the truth. Like that's where I was at. I was at the bottom of the lowest ever point in my mental health. But as a result of that now, I, like the, I'm as mentally strong as I could be. Like I never want people to listen and confuse the fact that that's something that I dealt with, which that's a problem now because it's not. It's the overweight person who's now in shape. I'm um, like, this was a problem I had that I learned coping strategies to deal with. You know, one of them, which is putting myself into those extreme environments to like really get clear on real problems, perceived problems, real fear, perceived fear, et cetera. And by doing that, it gives me massive perspective. Um, but as a result, that came back from owning it. And like anybody that's overweight listening to this podcast, anybody that has really bad mental health issues listening to this podcast, anybody who's got massive fear around starting their own business listening to this podcast, I'm like, just take responsibility, that that's your starting point right now. And then you can control it and then you can change it if you want to. Until you do that, nothing will change.
0: Yeah, even admitting that you have the fear. I think, have you ever heard the, um, the Janis Joplin lyric, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose? And, oh, and it's so true it's so beautiful and I always say there's something happens it's um they call it it's like the you know the whenever the it, it, I, I love the analogy have you ever um have you ever gone out in the rain or have you ever gone out and you've been out say on a walk right so this happened to me recently I was I was out and walk with my dog and um I, before I left I was like is it gonna rain is it not gonna rain uh, it looks like it might have a bit of a shower I was like we'll be fine this is whenever I think I was prepping for one of my last shows so I was like walking like an hour and a half every day in the evening for one of my cardio sessions and so I was I was out walking and as I was walking it just started to rain you know those big big massive heavy raindrops it was plunk 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 and I was like oh shit and I was like halfway around I was halfway from home but I was halfway you know halfway away from home halfway from home so there wasn't and I was like oh damn and I looked around there was no bus shelters there was no trees there was nothing and so the rain started coming down I was kind of walking and I was like oh you know and I was like shielding myself and this rain was hitting me and then the next thing this you know after about five minutes got heavier and heavier and then this deluge just just like landed on me and I was just and I realized I was soaking fucking wet. There was nothing. I was soaked through, like my coat was sticking to my arms. My leggings were drenched. My feet were drenched. My cap was drenched. It was dripping off the peak of my cap. And I was absolutely drenched. And see, the minute that I realized I was completely and utterly drenched, I just relaxed. I was like, I can't. I can't stay dry anymore. I'm wet. And so I just kept walking and I just thought, fuck it, and I just kept walking and the dog was like, what the fuck? He was like, oh, you know, and, and I was like, come on, buddy, come on. And I just started running and and I'm sure people were at me going, look at that crazy bitch like running in the rain, but I, I was drenched. There was nothing I can do. And I, and I kind of thought at the time, because this is how my mind works. I was like, this is a great analogy for literally just like you sitting in the car you have nothing left to lose you have you have a child on the way it's not even like will i be a good dad you know i'm a, i'm gonna be a dad in four weeks so i'm gonna have to build on a pair of big boy pants and just get on with it you know and so it's like you reach this point where you just go i actually had this recently as well in the business so we just had a, a launch um we just, we're in the middle of the bloody launch of the Sculpt and Shred program night. It didn't end up going too badly, but it's kind of my biggest revenue building time of the year. So it sets the revenue, not only now, but it sets the revenue for the rest of the year with monthly recurring revenue. So we invested a hundred thousand pounds in Facebook ads, right? Now that's not normally an issue. It was our biggest investment ever because we wanted this to be a massive launch. We were on track to make seven figures from the launch. So it was going to set our cash flow for the year. And then the coronavirus hit right in the middle of my fucking launch. So I was like, oh shit, <laughs> not a good time. So anyway, last week I had so much fear. Like I was just, you know, I was, am I going to be able to keep my staff on? I really did have like an enormous, last week was one of the one of the hardest weeks I've had in a long time. Didn't sleep. I was, and I I really had to pull back everything and I had to, And I got up one night at 2am and I, I sat down with my computer and I pulled open all my credit card, you know, because I have this 105 grand Amex bill to pay now at the end of April. And so I was like, I pulled in all my credit cards. I opened all my bank statements. I was like, what are my, I? I just, I, I collected the data, Right, fear is just a lack of data. I always say that. Once you get the data, the fear goes away. So I started pulling in all the data. You know, how, what are my outgoings? What are my wages? What are my monthly outgoings? What you know, how long can I keep going for? And I realized that with my current cash flow, um, if I could work with the credit card company and not paying it off, if we didn't sell another single program, I could um, I could keep going for three months. I could literally, with current cash flow, not selling one more program, we could keep working for three months. And then after three months, literally the cash run. Well, the cash didn't run out till September, but it was in a really dire situation. I'd have to make big cuts in the in the staff, and so. This is what happened last week. And so, but see, once I had that information, it was almost like getting soaked in the rain. I was like, okay, if I'm going down, I'm going down playing the fucking violin, like on the bloody, like on the Titanic. And it just, and it flipped. I was like, I am not going to, and see, once I got the data and I realized, okay, I can either accept that in three months I'm shutting, I'm shutting shop, you know, and I'm literally having to close the business. Or... I can say in the next three months I'm going to work harder than I've ever worked in my life before, and not I'm going to make hay while the sun don't shine, and I'm just going to keep going. And it's see what we have achieved in this last week. It's incredible, even just pumping out all this free content. and And so, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you. I love I love the analogy of like sitting there and crying and just being like so. You know, you almost, and this is why I think I want to talk about it as well with the coronavirus, because everyone's like, "Oh, well, look at you, you have a multi-million dollar company." I'm like, "You only have a multi-million dollar company when there's millions coming through your company. I don't have mil, I don't have multi-million dollars in the bank. <laughs> you know, that's not how that's not how it works." But um, but people love to say to me, "It's okay for you," and and I suppose what I want to bring up at the minute and the reason why I'm telling you this long winded story is about the coronavirus. And about how I think that you know people are really faced with difficult decisions at the minute, and you're faced with the fact of you. Some people are actually faced with the fact they may lose their house, they've lost their income, their husband has lost their income. They're you know they're they're now you know they're living month to month. They're like I can get to the end of the month, and then I can't pay my bills anymore. But there's all, and there's something really terrifying about that. But then there's also something really freeing about that. Yes, I have all of this imagined fear in my head. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? But whenever you look at it and you go okay, this is actually happening. This is what's going to happen. And now I need to make some changes. I think that just having that fear, allowing yourself to get wet in the rain and just experience that there's this physiological change that comes over us that, that propels us forward into action. And actually, the thing that we were most afraid of quite often doesn't even really ever happen. But it does take that. I think that we spend our whole life trying to get away from this fear, trying to stop all the bad things from happening, stop all the bad things from happening. But if we just allowed them to happen and we just allowed ourselves to experience them and feel them, then quite often big things change. And so, what I want to talk to you about now is Rewire Your Mindset, okay? Because that's your latest book. And I think that it's such an important. Um, the 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 lessons that you teach in the book and also the seminars that you're doing now is are so important, especially for what's going on at the minute. So talk to us a little bit about Rewire Your Mindset, where that came from and how that can help people even with what they're struggling with at the minute, training from home, not having the gym. So yeah, t- talk so, to us first about Rewire Your Mindset. Yeah,
1: so without going into like a shameless plug on the book, like it's one No, of shamelessly
0: those... plug it, I don't care. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, um, <laughs> no, like it depends. Like I'm a big believer that not everyone should read every book. Um, mine included that I put that myself into the brackets, same as every other book that's out there. I'm like, if you think you'll get benefit from it, you should read this book, my one or any other one that I recommend. And when it comes to rewire your mindset, I'm like, that book is for the people who are either lacking structure for how to kind of set up your life. Like I build it on a four quadrant formula. So health, wealth, love and fulfillment so that you're getting clear And that you're making sure you're moving the needle forward on whatever is the most important thing to you. So getting clear on for people that feel lost, you know, how how do you you stop being lost? I'm like, you you put yourself in a position to be found, you know, the old adage. And that's for people in that realm or people who are close to me that struggle with the mindset side of things where they would set goals or they knew what they wanted to do. What they still didn't do is, you know, the side premise on the book is like, don't let your biggest enemy live between your two ears. I'm like, when you know that you're getting in your own way, I'm like, how to condition yourself to not get in your own way.
0: This is so important though, Brian, this is what's happening at the minute. Look, with all the fear in the world, you know, I think this is such an important message. I think people are just so fearful and so terrified of what's, of the changes that have been thrust upon them in their life. They're just not able to embrace and accept them. How can they embrace and accept them?
1: But by realizing that whatever you repeatedly tell yourself is what's going to become your identity and belief. Like, all, like, I, one of the things that I got very clear on a few years ago was separating opinions from facts and facts from beliefs. I'm like, They're three very different things. I'm like, in the most cases, a lot of your beliefs and conditionings are just opinions that have been reinforced over and over and over again. Like, you know, you used a great example earlier, you know, similar to me. Like, I grew up on a farm as well, where your job was separate from your passion. If you had a passion, a sport, et cetera, you did that over here. But your job was this thing that put food on the table. Like. And one of the reasons I believe that to be quote unquote successful, I'm like, you need to go get a good job. You know, that that was what success meant. When it was irrelevant of money. It was you a good job was being a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, good stable income. Yeah, that that was success, what success meant to me, because that's what I had been conditioned to believe. And that was just an opinion that had been passed down to me. And that's not, you know, uh, discrediting or anything, saying anything bad about the way I was parented that was just the way it was mm-hmm. you know like I my mom was the best role model in my entire life you know I, I couldn't say a bad word about that but the, it doesn't change the fact that they grew up in a different time and she grew up in a different time so her belief system were different and they get passed down to you and it's the same with the fear mongering now like you if you're conditioned to respond to fear by climbing up and getting into an anxious state I'm like, first comes back to what we talked about earlier. It's about owning that and taking responsibility for it. If you don't own it, you can't control it. If you don't control it, you can't change it. But realize that you're not helping yourself. You know, I've used several adages, but I'll use one more and then I'm done, I swear. Like, you know, that when you're digging a hole, what do they say to do when you want to get out of a hole? It's like, well, stop digging first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if you're feeling fearful in this current situation around coronavirus. And you want to
0: stop feeling fearful, stop feeding the fear.
1: Stop feeding the fucking fear. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's, yeah. that's it. and it's, I don't want to feel scared anymore okay we'll stop watching the
1: bloody news <laughs> but, it's, but it's so it sounds so obvious but sometimes you either need there's going to be half the people listening now that that's going to be the trigger and they're like oh yeah of course I'm conditioning myself to feel more fear and there's going to be other people who are like okay that's great yeah I should do that and then they go back and still watch the news anyway like those people, it's a little bit more difficult. I'm like, right? they need systems. You know, my system is 10 minutes in the morning. I'm like, I will stay updated. I'll stay informed. I get 10 minutes of checking it out to see where the country's at and see where the world's at. And then that's it. I go back to recording podcasts. I go back to writing. I go back to training. Like, I go back to looking for the opportunity that's coming in this. Like, you know, I've been a longtime subscriber. You know, the Chinese word for crisis is danger and opportunity. I'm like, we well, you know what the danger of coronavirus is. Now, where's the opportunity? I'm like, some people, opportunity is different. For some, it's businesses where you're like, right, you wanted to move online virtually. Now you can, because the gyms are closed. You know, you you wanted to have more time with your kids, but you couldn't because of work. Great. Now's the time because you're at home with them. You know, you didn't have time to get in shape before. Brilliant. Now you can train twice a day. You're at home in self-isolation. I'm like, there's opportunity there, but you have to choose to see it. Like you can choose the fear and choose to live in that, or you can choose to see the positive and choose to see the opportunity and live in that. It's totally up to you. And I
0: think it comes down to personal honesty as well. I have a friend at the minute who is just living in a constant fear set, fear state, but she constantly satiates in the news. She's watching the news. She's reading the news. She has the news coming on at 5am and she's just walking around a terrified state. And I, and I said to her the other day, and she was like, oh, this is terrible. And I said, no, it's not. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, you enjoy it. And she was like, what do you mean I enjoy it? I said, you enjoy it. You enjoy the fear. You actually are satiating the fear. And I said, I'll tell you how I know why. Because in yoga, whenever, we used to, whenever I used to teach yoga, um, one of the things that I learned in my yoga teacher training is that suffering is a discharge of pain. That's what suffering is. We feel pain in our body and we suffer. So I'm, I'm going, oh my God, Brian, isn't this terrible? And I'm telling you about all these awful things because it discharges the pain. So people use suffering as a way to discharge the pain. So they get they get addicted to the suffering and they get addicted to the fear and they start satiating in it as a way to discharge the pain in their body. But I have learned to discharge pain in my body through through squatting 180 kilos <laughs> or years ago i used to run so i used to run whenever i i had you know i was actually in a very turbulent relationship at the time years ago and i took up running and i ran 30 miles a week and every time my boyfriend and i had a fight i went and i ran so I, I chose to to channel the the adrenaline that i was feeling in a, to release it in a different way and that's why i'm really preaching the training at the minute with people and why our programs are actually selling really well is because i'm saying to people you want to you want to get over your fear do it productively discharge the, the adrenaline in a different way but i think that whenever i said to my friend you're actually enjoying this she was like how can you say that and i said because you're satiating in your fear every day and i've given you millions of tools to overcome it and you haven't chosen one single one of them which means that you're choosing the problem and i broke it down for her and i, I did this with my son the other week as well like he he he, he came, we homeschool our kids and he was feeling very you know upset or whatever and i said to him what is the problem he said there's just nobody to talk to. And I said, but Kai, you won't go anywhere or see anyone. Like He has his friends come to the house, but I've encouraged him to go and play basketball and and he's done different things, but he won't go and do it. So I I came up with all of these options. We can do this and we can do this and we can invite this one over and we can have this and we can go to these tournaments. And I came up with all these options. He was like, no, 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 no. he, He literally, he rejected every single option. So I said to him, okay, so here's what I need you to understand now. He's 12. I said, this is a problem that you're choosing. And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, You are, because I've given you the option. Go to school. You don't want to do that. Go and do this. You don't want to do that. Go to basketball. Come to. I said, I'll, I told you I'll go with you. I said, I, I've made this as easy as possible for you to solve this problem. And you haven't chosen any of them. So it's now a problem that you're choosing. Choosing the problem is easier than changing the problem. So you're choosing the problem. If you had no options over here, then you wouldn't, then you could say, Well, you know, you're not choosing it, but now you're choosing it. I said, And if you're choosing it, I can't help you anymore. And we're done. And it, do you know it changed, Brian? He changed. He signed up to basketball. He 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 said, "Can Robbie come round? Can you know? Can can JD come round?" And he flipped. See, once he realised he was choosing the problem, it flipped. But I think it's getting really clear on that that if you don't, if we give you strategies for changing something and you choose not to change it, you're choosing the problem. Get okay with that. It's fine to choose it, but don't pretend that you're not because it's not going to serve you in your life. I
1: love that. I'm totally going to steal that wording. Um, like one of the things that do it. Ultra marathon friends used to always tell me, and I live my life by this. He's like, if there's something you can do about your problem, you don't have a problem. You've an inconvenience. Right. Like a very cool but they're two different things and um, so I'm going to merge that with what you just said I'm like it's so true if you're choosing the problem that's cool but be aware you're choosing the problem as opposed to getting the solution first
0: absolutely 100% and so what I really wanted to teach people or what I'm trying to teach people about this whole you know this whole pandemic that's happening in the minute is about you know yes there is a lot of fear but if you know but you can if you have other choices that you can make to you know make money or to you know to you know somebody said the other day about somebody was complaining um again a friend of a friend of my sister was telling me, and she was saying their husband had lost his job. And and so, and she was, she was saying, do you know that um, Amazon are taking on delivery drivers and the supermarkets are employing people? And she was giving, and he, she was like, no, no, well, he wouldn't want to work in a supermarket. No, I don't think he would want to drive for Amazon. And she was like, okay, this is a problem you're choosing then. (laughs) Having, having less money is more important to you than having money, clearly. (laughs) So, and that's fine, but don't pretend that it's a problem when it's, not a problem but we love to satiate in the problem making so just like I'm satiating and taking over the conversation right now
1: <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm getting so much from that like satiating the problem is such a great point like I never thought about it like that you know like one of the things I've, I've always noticed in people and I tend to look for they like, love is, to
0: suffer Brian
1: they love to suffer like well I used to always use complaining as an example I'm like people that are addicted to complaining like. Um, which is something I, I, it's my little pet peeve because it's an Irish thing as well. We tend to do like micro complaints about everything. Mm-hmm. But I really struggle with complaining when we're in the first world, you know, with an iPhone in your hand, it's like, oh, the fucking world is shit. I'm like, oh yeah, on your iPhone. <laughs> like, I'm like, you're fine. Um, In terms of perspective. But that's such a great example. Like we, we love to suffer as well. But, channel that suffering positively like you said like training and i connect totally what you said there like i choo- choose your suffering is a philosophy that I, I try and put in my audience i'm like i use it with mental health you know but you can use it in any example like if i don't run and i don't work out and i don't train i get into this self-imposed anxiety my mood gets massively and i'm a very happy guy super positive guy But if I take away things like good sleep, good nutrition and training, Mm -hmm. I'm not so happy and I'm not so positive. So I'm choosing my suffering to prepare my meals. I'm choosing my suffering to go for my run. I'm choosing my suffering to go to bed, even though I'd like to watch that last episode of Narcos on Netflix. I'm choosing that suffering because I don't want to choose the mental health. Otherwise, you choose the mental health suffering, but it's up to you. You can choose. It's like, just get very clear that you're making that choice. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think because that's empowering, you know. It is the victim mentality. Like it's so empowering. You're like, right, choose your suffering. Do you want to get up at 5 a.m. and go for a run? Or do you want to be overweight and not feel as sexy and confident when you walk into a room? Only up to you.
0: Well, it's the like, difference between being um, a, a moving uh, or a, a dynamic force in this world versus being a victim. I think that when you, going back to what we were saying earlier about responsibility, whenever you take responsibility for something, like whenever something happens that I don't like, or like, so say something happens in my company, right? Say um, like the, whenever we were running, just to give an example, whenever we were running the masterclass, you know, things there, we realized that um, something had happened where the, um, the people who were signing up for the masterclass weren't being signed up for the correct masterclass. So we had, we had changed a bit of code. And so the 6 p.m. ones were being signed up for the 2 p.m. The 2 p.m. were being signed up for 6 p.m. We had 17,000 registrants by the time we realized. So I was like, oh, fuck. Now, I could have gone, whose fault is this? Who did this? But my immediate response was, okay, this is my company. How did I cause this? How did I not have a checklist in place? How did I not, how did I put too much pressure on my staff? How did I, of course, we drilled down into how did the problem happen? But there was no blame because whenever I, if I blame someone in my company, then I give away all my responsibility. But if I take responsibility, then I am, I am an, an effector of change and I can change it in the future so it doesn't happen again. So it's really just about, I think, flipping your mindset, but also as well, the suffering that you were talking about, it's one of the things I, I teach is, so whenever we're, we're kids, unfortunately, we get a lot of, we get value from suffering. We get attention from, from suffering. So whenever we're kids, especially little girls, we're like, oh, man, it hurts and I'm sick and i don't want to school or whatever. Like in my, in my family, if you were sick, you you had your arm had to be hanging off before you got a day off school. You know, my mom would have been like, well, you okay, you're sick. We'll go to school anyway. If you still feel bad at lunchtime, call me, I'll come get you. So there we learned there was no value in sickness whatsoever. No value in suffering, no value in sickness. But the problem is whenever we reward children for suffering, they 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 grow up learning that suffering gets them attention. And so they get value from suffering. In my world, in my family with my kids, what gets you what gets you attention is effort. Effort and Building value. So when you put in effort and you create something good, or you build something good, or you you know you build value in the world, that gets attention. Unfortunately, most kids are wired differently, and that suffering gets attention. So as we grew up, then we turn into you know you, you can see the ones who were rewarded for suffering, and the ones who were rewarded for for um, for doing something good and positive in the world. And unfortunately, then. The more we suffer, the more we get attention, the more we suffer, the more we get attention, it turns into a suffering loop. So a lot of people don't even want to give up their suffering, even if you give them the, the the option to. And I've given up on loads of people. I've just been like, you know what, there's nothing I can do with you because I now know that you're choosing this suffering and you get value from it, but they're so afraid to give up the attention that they get from suffering because it's how they feel valuable in the world. It's how they feel alive, it's how they feel human, it's how they feel valued by society because it's the only time that they get attention. And so it's it's our our society's inverted in a way.
1: Yeah, it's a very peculiar one. And what I generally find, and I have a little bit of an availability bias here because people that read my books, come to my seminars, are past stage one. They've already gone from zero to one. They're already aware that I'm in control and if I want my life to be better, I need to do something. So they're not the, you're not talking blindly to people. Step so one, have,
0: self-awareness.
1: Yes, exactly. So I'm already talking to the people there. So again, apologies for the availability bias on the example I'm about to give. But I think that way that people are conditioned can be retrained like I think that looking for attention from suffering can be changed into something else like just, you know and being aware of that that depending on how long you've been doing it like the analogy I use just to pull out one from the box is like it's like a seed in the ground I'm like if that's what you've been doing you know, a seed in the ground very easy to dig up. You know, you put it in the ground yesterday, you can dig it up today. It's pretty easy. If it's been growing there for a year, you can pull out the sapling, but it's a little bit harder. If it's been there for twenty years, it's grown into a full tree. Like that's way harder to pull up. Not impossible. You still have to knock it down. Like you know, the, the how Stop do you knock writer. it No, so, yeah, yeah. You can, th- yeah, exactly. Hit it a thousand times in the same spot. Like you can still knock it down. It's just way harder. And it's the same as if you've been conditioned to think a certain way up until now. That's cool. That's fine. But you have to align your expectation to if you've been thinking a certain way in suffering or attention for 20 years you're not going to change that in two days like Mm -hmm. you're not going to change that in a weekend course like that's going to take several years but the time's going to pass anyway so like you may as well condition yourself to change it and if it's something that you're listening to this in your early 20s and you've only been doing it for a couple of years and you realize and catch it earlier great for you because by the time you're in your 30s that will be gone but it's relative. It doesn't matter. You can all change it. Like whoever it is, I was there. I was probably 23, 22, 23 before I questioned any of my limitating beliefs. And then I wasn't 26 until I set up my own business. Like it took me that long to even get the courage to set up my own business, which was the first thing I did before a bodybuilding show. And then I built confidence along that over time. And then that grows consistently. And I think anybody can do that. It's just going to take longer for some based on your starting point.
0: Yeah, it does. And I think that the awareness of the time is so important. It's like the girl who wanted to lose the 30 pounds in three weeks. You know, I had someone who came on one of my master classes once. She was like, I know what my goal is. I want to lose 60 pounds by Christmas. And I was like, you know, it's September now. <laughs> your mm, little out of reality is what's possible. So I think that, but I think that the harder you work, the more you work, the more effort you put forth, the more results you get, the more you realize what it actually takes and how hard it is to build muscle, make money, grow a business, you know, like learn any skill takes, you know, dedication over time. But unfortunately we do have a lot of what we call sequiturs running around, which are people who believe they could It's like my husband's favorite thing is he always says, you know, whenever people say to him, Oh yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I, I could have been, cause he was a professional rugby player. He'd played, was capped for Australia. He played for Saracens, played for Ulster. And, uh, and he's, people are like, oh yeah, you know, I, I was really good at rugby in school. You know, I, I could have been a professional. And he's like, no, you couldn't. And they're like, no, no, I could. He's like, no, no, you couldn't. Because if you could, you would, and you didn't. So you couldn't. Mm-hmm. And they're like, and, but people really want to believe that if they just believe it, they can be it. And unfortunately, then they walk around with this false sense of self-esteem and, and that creates a lot of the problems in life. I'm all about teaching my kids self-esteem. I'm like, you know, put forward an effort to get a result. You know, self-esteem comes from the, you know, the possibilities that you see in any given situation. The more possibilities you see, the higher your self-esteem, the more likely you, the, you know, they always say that the more kids are entrepreneurial as, as children, the, the more successful they will be as, as adults, you know? And so I try and foster that as well, but I think it is massively missing from society. But anyway, listen, Brian, I could talk to you all day this was supposed to be me interviewing you (laughs) but unfortunately it's you know but I I do love our our banter with each other I think it's uh, we definitely work well together
1: yeah 100% I love it like it's like a part two like of our we, did, we
0: should do a part two actually I think I, I'm feeling a part yeah. two coming up I'm feeling a part maybe I should be more like Joe Rogan and do like three hour long part, podcasts or something but we need to get you up here to Belfast and like we'll get you sitting here You're built for three hours <laughs> here listen I just love the discussions and um, Brian tell me where can my audience find out more about you where can they buy your books like give yourself a shameless plug um,
1: so if you like the podcast, um, or like the podcast format, obviously, if you're listening to this, you like the podcast format, uh, the Brian Keen podcast, I have three podcasts.
0: Keane is K-E-A-N-E, not K-E-A-N-E, K-E-A-N-E yeah.
1: K-E-A-N-E. Yeah. K-E-A-N-E. yeah, K-E-A-N-E, uh, Instagram, Brian underscore Keen underscore fitness. And the books are on Amazon, the Fitness Mindset, Rewire Your Mindset. If you just type my name into Google, everything comes up, uh, but Instagram and the podcast are the two that I spend the most time on
0: perfect we will link in the show notes as well to um to your website and your books and and all the rest of it um brian this was absolutely amazing could talk to you all day wish that i could but unfortunately i can't but thank you so much for making the time to come on i do truly appreciate it
1: pleasure is all mine thank you so much for having me on
0: wasn't well, Brian, just absolutely epic. Oh my God, I could listen to him all day. We've actually, we, we, we've said to each other, we're gonna to have to do part two. He's gonna have me on back on his podcast and I'm gonna have him back on my podcast because we just have so much more to share and talk about. And I just love how his mind works. I love how strong he is. I love what he's built for himself. And I love how he's able to articulate his ideas, really break them down into you know sizable, chunk, bite-sized chunks so that people can really use this information to make incredible changes in their lives. Before I go, don't forget about leaving the podcast review. Wherever you listen to the podcast, leave a review. You could be in with a chance of winning We, um, one of our epic programs. We we choose every single month from the reviews. So hop over to your platform, leave the review, send me a picture on Instagram at The Sculpted Vegan, and you could be in with a chance of winning. And thank you so much for listening. I truly, truly value your time, your attention, your, your fighting spirit. Um, I love the reviews that you write. I love the messages that you send me keep them coming because truly I read each and every review and each and every message that comes into me. I kid you not. So please keep the messages coming because you sending me messages keeps me strong to support you. So it kind of works in a, in a big massive loop. Guys, this was epic. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you or speak to you next time on the Strong Unsculpted podcast. Bye for now.